Hello, and welcome to this episode of Hammering Down, presented to you by Birmingham Sports. I'm your host, Carol Hodges, my favorite great one. I have a really special episode. This is going to be our preseason preview, as you probably know, or maybe you don't. The Legion start preseason tomorrow, as I'm releasing this, March 1st. Um, so, we have a very special episode. I was joined by Mr. John Morrissey. He is at USL Tactics on Twitter. Basically, he releases content all about statistics and all about their tactics and super nerdy stuff that I absolutely adore. I cannot get enough of it, and you could probably hear me nerd out a few times. This is a kind of a long episode, um, so I really do think you should just sit back and really enjoy this. Maybe you're on a car ride. Hey, if you're in the car, how you doing? Um, but this is a really good talk. We did talk about possible contenders. Hey, spoiler um, we're one of the people that he says could be a contender to win it all this year. I mean, you're just going to have to hear how highly he ranks us, but we are a contender and isn't that exciting, but I'm not going to waste any more of your time. This is a fantastic podcast of uh, this episode of this podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I know I loved it. Go follow him on Twitter at USL tactics. So go ahead and get yourself a nice big cup of red diamond coffee or tea. And let's jump into this thing. All right, hello, and welcome to this episode of Hammering Down. I'm your host, Keller Hodges, and I am being joined by a very special guest, a man who is known all across the USL and even part of the upper leagues of America. A lot of his work is being seen by not just fans, but people in front offices alike. Uh, just a awesome work he's putting in and go ahead check it out miss mr john usl tactics morrissey how you doing man doing really well and really happy to be here and thank you for the very complimentary intro yeah of course i let me start off i love doing this i love statistics and judging by your spreadsheet it seems like you do too um <laughs> i it i i can't or obviously if you're listening to this or even watching it, you don't see it, but he sent me a full spreadsheet about Birmingham Legion about last year, this year stuff. And it's insane. Go look at his Twitter page at USL tactics. It's, it's awesome. Good stuff. I love it. I have a background in baseball and I'm sure if you follow baseball whatsoever, their advanced analytics and numbers is just if you like that stuff, it's just die for. It's amazing. So you're the first person I've seen for USL really bring that in, bring in advanced analytics and try to explain what everything means. How did you get started with that? And I guess why do you continue to do it? Yeah, so I've, um, I'm from Indianapolis originally, and I've been a fan of the 11 since their inception. And as they've moved along, from the NASL to USL, and I've gotten more into the league, I've tended to notice that just because it's a smaller minor league, you don't tend to have that sort of coverage. And as someone who has studied statistics, has done that sort of thing, but also has a real investment in the league, I figured it would be something that I might be able to provide and something that would also, in like a personal development sense, let me kind of work on what I'm trying to do professionally and just gaining skills. So meshing that together and putting out something that people really have responded well to has been super fruitful for me personally. 
I mean, I, I personally have your notifications turned on. So anytime you'll start a thread, dude, I open up my, my Twitter app and I'll just start reading it. I cannot get enough of it. And the way that you break things down is very easy for the uninformed reader to know what they're looking at. How did you come to that? Uh, I, I, the way I look at it is, I don't know if you played it, but like football manager, they have like that certain mm -hmm. graph and the way everything kind of pokes out and certain data points go here. And it's not just a graph. It's a, the, the complete player is a complete circle. And you kind of, right. you kind of show that off. How was that your design choice? And was that something you thought about, or was it just like, this looks cool. Let's do it. Right. So there's a website called uh, stats bomb and they do consulting work for like big European clubs really all over the world, but they also have a pretty good media presence online as well. A lot of writing about the Premier League, European football. And so that was the inspiration. They use the uh, radar charts in their descriptions. And while they have really advanced data about uh, progressive passing and dribbling and all sorts of fun things, I'm working with a little bit more of a limited data set, but just trying to copy what was going on there and apply it in a way that could enhance the coverage of USL and then the discussion around it was something that really appealed to me. So I, I thought about bringing this up later, but I'm really interested to hearing it now. Uh, you obviously do like these spreadsheets for basically every team in the USL, at least in the championship. I don't know if you've gone into league one or anything like that, but Obviously, I'm assuming there's a lot of number crunching here because there's a lot of stuff now, luckily with things like FOTMOB or if, you know, you just really love watching games, you can track a lot of these statistics yourself. Uh, what is there any team that you've started tracking that you have their numbers for? And then when you watch them play, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Their numbers don't line up with what they're doing. Yeah, so I would actually point to uh, my Indy 11 for that. As a fan, I invested in it and I follow it very closely. And I think a lot of the frustration with the fan base is aimed at Martin Rennie and his style, because this is a team that despite having some of the best talent in USL, I could pretty confidently say, plays a game where it's lots of long balls. It's, I mean, five defensive midfielders, three center backs at any given time. And yet they actually led the league in chance creation last season, which you would never guess. So here they are hoofing it up the pitch. And then apparently, if you look at the numbers, they're one of the best offensive creation sides in the league, which if you're looking for an explanation, it's pretty easy. It's Tyler Pasher. Well, and yeah. so, yeah. And that's one where you're flummoxed by the disconnect between this style that in my estimation is misusing a lot of the talent that's there that's been provided by the front office and you if you look at the metrics you would expect a much better performing team but this is an indie side that collapsed after about six games missed the playoffs much to my frustration yeah you know i think what you're describing if you want which brought a lot of joy to my heart as a birmingham fan just look at the first game against memphis where you guys were what down two nil and then what yep. what was it four two win in the end, where it felt like your chances came out of nowhere. They just existed and it didn't 
and you took your chances and scored, I always felt like that was Indy where whenever I watched them, it felt like they weren't doing anything, but yet somehow they were always winning and it didn't make sense. I never understood watching Indy play. And I think that kind of describes a lot of what you're saying. Yeah. So they, I mean, they played a ton of long balls, but, and they um, defended really deeply. And so you combine those things together and it really can be this hit or miss style. So let's jump to, I guess, what this podcast is focused on, which is Birmingham. I mean, a lot of uh, football or soccer in uh, Birmingham. And tomorrow, March 1st, if you're listening to this on February 28th, hi. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you're not, I think this is still a good intro to what we're expecting. Birmingham from year one to year two took a massive, massive leap when it came to production on the field. I I believe, if I remember off the top of my head, we went from scoring or having the third lowest point per or goals per game to being the sixth highest in one year. We went from only controlling uh, was like 45% of the ball in 2019 to controlling over 50% just stuff from year one to year two where we started getting more players that seemed to fit a certain style from what you've seen from the numbers what was the big jump for legion and what was the downfall as we uh ended the year on a kind of a rough skid so i mean in terms of the rough skid i think you can just chalk it up to ups and downs of form but this was a team that if you look at the approach and the personnel in the early part of the season, it was a very free flowing offensive sort of style. You had um, lots of interchange and movement with the forward line. I I loved watching the whole Brian Wright, um, Bruno Lapa sort of attack. The fullbacks would push up really high and there was aggressive defending. It wasn't necessarily a pressing system, I would say, but they weren't afraid to put in a tackle. You had um, a really nice defensive midfield. But Bruno Lapa, I think, was the thing I would focus on. You plug him into that number 10 slot. He'd often drop deeper to pick up the ball and really initiate attacks, but then burst back upfield. He ended the season um, in the top fifth of the league in terms of goals and expected assists. And he was really the talisman for everything that was going on. And when you have a player like that who's so key, I mean, it's sort of what I was talking about with Pasher a minute ago, where if just because of variance, he tends to get a little bit less output that can weigh on a team. And I still think this is a Birmingham side that was competitive at the end of the season. And they showed a lot in that playoff matchup. Was it, I think it was against Tampa. Yep. Where, and there were actually some tactical changes in that game where they adopted a three at the back, which was really interesting, where there was that extra level of flexibility that you hadn't seen over the course of the season that was really promising. But in terms of the jump from the year prior, it was night and day, and it was really promising to see. And I think it should be something that Birmingham fans should expect to see another sort of jump as they look towards 2021. Yeah, whenever I looked at your spreadsheet, and then this is one of those things where I asked you if you had numbers that didn't match up with what you were seeing, uh, maybe confirmation bias or whatever, but your numbers backed up and every single statistic I kept up with just matched with what you said about Bruno Lapa. Dude is just a baller. Dude's a freak. I mean, he did everything for us. He assisted. He 
almost every single set piece goal came from his foot. Mm-hmm. He scored goals when we needed it. And yeah, I mean, the numbers love him. The film loves him. Uh, just a fantastic player all around. I love watching him play. I I don't know if this is something that you uh, can track and or maybe it's something that you've noticed. Um, we You were talking about how we were pretty free-flowing, um, but you said we weren't exactly pressing, but we would, you know, we'd be, wouldn't be afraid to put in a tackle. I think that kind of leads to how I view the team, which is extremely counterattacking. I, I feel the, I feel that Legion are, they have some of the best one touch passes I've seen at any level of football in America. They are just extremely quick, which I think comes back to the, uh, our coach, Tommy Stone. He started his career as an indoor player. He didn't start off as a normal player. Oh, I which, didn't know that. Wow. Which indoor, if you watch them, it's one touch passes. They have to get, you know, from one end to the other like that, which I think leads to a lot of what we had, which was, you know, free flowing tackles, win the ball, let's get it out which at the very end of the season, people started figuring that out and started giving us possession. Is that something that you noticed that whenever we held possession more that we didn't do as well? Or is that something that just kind of, again, confirmation bias, I thought a thing coming into a game and then it happened and I was like, aha, I was right. (laughs) I think as the season went on, there was definitely a tendency for teams to sit back and sort of invite you to have the ball. That's definitely something that I picked up on where early in the year you came out like gangbusters. I mean, Lapa was amazing. I, I'll mention Brian Wright again, even though Nico Brett statistically was the better player, but I thought the fit that he had in terms of his movement was really excellent and paired so well with what Lapa was doing. Um, if you think about some of the other players in the squad who were doing really well, but it's what you said where suddenly teams let you have the ball a little bit more and you've got to break down a solid defense who's putting eight men behind the ball and it becomes a lot harder to do. It becomes harder for Bruno Lapa to find those pockets of space where he can thread a ball to a teammate. And so you naturally tend to have a little bit less output. And then the onus is on the defense when the other team gets possession. Now everyone's got to move back from that attacking third and, um, hopefully win the ball back, which was a strength early on, but there were, I mean, some injuries where Akinyodi had to move back to the back line, things like that, where, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You sigh because it got a little bit more challenging as the season wore on. I, I love Akinyodi. I, the fact that, that he shifted into that center back role as well as he did was very impressive. Cause I mean, he is a defensive midfielder and I guess he, he had these the natural physical skill set where he was big and he was a body and he could do it, but we were missing him so much in that defensive midfield and that was that was tough to see. But I'm sure his play style, which I'm sure you've seen, is probably going to slot in really well for Miami. That seems like a natural landing place that he's going to do well at. I'm worried he might not even get minutes with how stacked they've been, which is incredible to say because he was one of my favorite players to watch last season. But, I mean, they've got Speedy Williams, Paco Craig. I mean, that's a stacked Miami side. I don't know where. <laughs> they yeah. they were so bad last year, and then just this year they were like, yeah, we're tired of that. So, right. sorry. Go, yeah. Um, we 
we moved on from Bolu, which hmm. uh, which was interesting because they actually reported a transfer fee, which you never see in USL. I thought that was very interesting. And with some of that money, we have bought some new players. And I want to kind of talk about it starting at the back and moving forward. Um, we added two defenders, but one of them's not really a defender. Let's start off with a real deal defender, which is Fanuel Cavita. Um, what do you everything that I've watched on film, I haven't statistically broken him down as much as I would like, but on film, he just looks like a baller and he fits that three man back line that you mentioned in the Tampa Bay game, which maybe that's a hint of something we're moving forward. And how would he fit whether in a three man or a four man back line? Yeah. So I actually saw a lot of him just because he was, uh, in the same group as the 11 with, uh, St. Louis last season, for my money, he should have been in the team of the year. I thought he was absolutely immense. And if you're looking at the numbers, he won 84% of his tackle attempts, which is outrageous. I mean, more than a block a game, nearly a clearance a game. He was truly excellent on the numbers, but then watching him play was, I mean, a similarly excellent experience because he is just so smart. He knows when to use the athleticism to really put a body on somebody. He knows how to position himself, and I think he can be the core for what this Birmingham side um, does in terms of their defense. And he's badly needed to build the depth in that back line where it's a good defensive unit for sure, but it's not one that I would trust with my life. No. And yeah, he really shores it up. <laughs> See, we we had a lot of players, and then you know injuries happen unfortunately Matthew Laurent you know he tore his ACL again that was unfortunate so we needed another center back and putting uh Fenuel and putting Alex Cronali side by side and putting them together seems like a natural fit but from what I've watched they are both extremely strong presence in the back and I'm wondering if it's that's going to hurt the team in a way because they are both natural leaders in the back and especially Fanuel who's coming from a three-man back line you don't really have a center back position it's more of a rotating back line you kind of go where you need to be is that something that I should be worrying about or am I just thinking it all am I thinking up some worries right now <laughs> I mean I think it is natural to worry about that but in many ways they're sort of complementary Kavita tends to be a little bit more of someone in a destroyer mold where he will go in and put in a tackle, try to get a block in, whereas Cronali tends to sit back a little bit more and he's a very good passer at the position. So you almost have this give and take where one of them, um, namely Cronali, is probably going to be a little bit more involved in terms of buildup and Kavita is going to be that the hammer, so to speak, where he really punish opponents. I tend to think it'll be the 4-2-3-1 as the base system, so uh, two center backs. And I think that is about as strong of a pair as you can get, and especially jumping up from last season. So you're you're saying that possibly a four-man four back line, which, I mean, if we look at our starters now, you know, that's still a really good back line. The pl one player that I'm not sure about is Ryan James. He was signed as a defender, but we didn't really see him play defender last year. He was more of a midfielder, which 
I, I don't know how I should feel about that. And another thing is he's I think he play he's playing as a number seven as a with a jersey number on his back, which that's just a whole nother OCD thing for me. But um, I mean, how do how how will he fit? And if he is a defender, because he does have a strange skill set that can slot him in the central midfield. Yeah. So uh, last season with Pittsburgh, they were running out with a three at the back system and he was sort of in that left wing back role a lot of the time. And he can certainly, he has the skill set to play center midfield uh, with no issue. And he's somewhat like Mikey Lopez in that regard, I suppose. But um, yeah, he was in the top third amongst fullbacks in defensive actions. He put up a ton of shots. He's someone that will get up the pitch and really put in um, a lot of attacking metal. And so in that sense, I do think that if we're going with the uh, supposition that it's a 4-2-3-1 system, if you put Mikey Lopez there in that other defensive midfield slot, he can almost change at will with Ryan James. So one of them gets upfield, one of them covers. One of them tries to be more aggressive defensively, one of them is a little bit more reserved. And given the other additions uh, attacking-wise, namely junior, junior Flemings on that side of the pitch, it's going to give you the attacking balance to really highlight what Flemings is going to try to do and the ball dominance that he has while also lending you some defensive stability there. Yeah, let's go ahead and, I guess, discuss Junior a little bit. I've already done an episode discussing his on the field slash off the field situation so (laughs) people people have heard my spiel on that and they know my opinions but purely talking about him as a player he he has to be maybe i'm wrong you're probably going to tell me i'm wrong but he has to be one of the most complete uh strikers in all of usl dude just on the film is a freak and I I wonder how he's going to fit in, especially since we have someone else like Nico Brett, who is another one of his uh, Jamaican national team striking partner. You mentioned we'll probably go to a one up top, but if you have two guys, especially two Jamaican nationals who are just great at finishing the ball, if they would play off each other or if they would just be a sub for each other. Yeah, so... In Phoenix, he played in that left wing position, and they had this front three with him, um, Solomon Asante on the other wing, and then Rufat Dadashov as the like target man poacher in the middle. And I think that's more of the approach you'll see in terms of the attack, where Flemings is going to be a very um, ball dominant sort of inside for, or outside forward type. Last season, he was in the 97th percentile in USL in expected goals, shot attempts, and fouls drawn. So you really run the whole gamut of he's going to dribble a lot, he's going to draw a lot of fouls, and he's going to put the ball in the net and make shots at the net as much as humanly possible, which in some ways that can be hard to balance when you have a striker like Nico Brett, but just the gravity that you have to that he creates where the defense is completely drawn into him and suddenly you've opened up where Bruno Lapa can make a late run into the box. Ryan James is excellent at making these late runs where Fleming dominates the ball, finds the tiniest little window. Suddenly you've got a shot on goal in pretty open space. And so I think he's a really natural fit for what Birmingham is going to be trying to do. You do worry that maybe he is 
almost too dominant of a presence, but that's the kind of problem that you always want to be having and want to be working around. That I mean, that's totally fair. And what I'm worried about is that I I have my gripes, and apparently the Legion have a have a announcement coming soon. I hope it's another defender. I'm praying it's another defender mm. because offensively we're stacked. I'm going to just run through some names that we have on the team that are probably going to be moving forward and who are, uh, I guess I would call them attacking midfielders, but they're really just midfielders who are probably going to be, I guess, either box to box or in the box. So we have Nico Brett, Junior Flemings, Prosper Kasim. Then we'll go to, uh, I'm sorry, Bruno Lapa, who we we all know he was basically the MVP of the team last year. We have Mikey Lopez, who maybe might be a defensive midfielder, but that's more of an Anderson Asiadu kind of guy. So he might be moving his way up. We have a, a Costa Rica, I think, or no, Puerto Rico. So sorry, national Jane Cervania. Uh, you have other, just other really talented players that we have brought in on the offensive side. J.J. Williams, another guy that we signed long-term that I don't know how these guys are going to get playing time and or what system you could run to get them all on the field together that won't just completely decimate a back line. Is there, I guess, long story short, what I'm trying to get at is, is there really one like group of players you think would work best together when it comes to what you're seeing on film and what you're seeing statistically? Or is this just one of those problems that we're happy to have, but the players are probably not going to be very happy when they're not playing much? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's certainly difficult to thread that needle. I do think, I mean, Asiadu, for me, is an absolute given. He has to be in the squad. Yes. <laughs> Lopez is such a leader, and he really does have that defensive capability where if you've got that back line and then you have the pivot of Asiadu and Lopez, I think they really give you enough balance of defensive steel and especially with Lopez, the positional awareness to know when to get forward, when to defend that you can throw that Fleming's Lapa and then pick your poison of Kasim or um, Cervania or um, JJ Williams in on that right wing. And then probably Brett up top. That's a lethal attack. Lapa gets back enough just in terms of whether it's dropping deep to get the ball and ending up defending, where I think you get some steal from him. Um, whoever ends up on the right wing will surely be tasked with doing a little bit of defending. I do worry about Flemings and James, just because they're both attacking-minded players at heart, where you maybe could get one of them cut out. But I, again, as I mentioned earlier, that's why I really think Lopez having that like left defensive midfielder role would be imperative for this side just because he's such a smart player and someone with experience at both left back and in the midfield. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the issue that, and it's one that we're going to see if it works out or not is my big fear is that we're going to be running basically a two man back line with maybe a holding slash defensive midfielder and Anderson Asiadu because we will have someone like Ryan James who's attacking minded 
we have Johnny Dean, who might be one of the fastest players in all of USL, who is not afraid to run up and get in to the opposing corner and just stay there. And I guess that's kind of a worry because we saw last year that teams started letting us get the ball and then we would get counterattacked. How is, is what I'm, I guess what I'm thinking with Johnny Dean and him moving up as much as he is, is that something that the numbers are seeing as well that he does like to move up? Or is it one of those things where he picks his moments really well and he makes an impact when he has to? Yeah. So he was in the bottom fifth of, um, all fullbacks in terms of his defensive actions, which isn't the tell-all stat, but it certainly shows that he's maybe not the most engaged defender, and he put up good assist numbers as well. And if I mean anyone who's watched a Legion game knows that he loves to get up the field. I do think that the proper response to that would be having Kasim probably play on the wing. He's someone who put in a surprising amount of defensive actions. He was in the 91st percentile in total on those. Um, if you compare him to other USL attacking mids, a lot of clearances, a lot of blocks, and a good amount of interceptions for someone at his position. So he's really got that work rate where you get the give and take that I was sort of talking about on the other side. And um, I just think that instilling that high effort defending is going to be key where it's great that you have so much attacking talent. And I think that Fleming's unlocks a lot in situations where the other team is going to bunker down. But if you want to defend against the counterattack, guys like Kasim are going to have to commit to getting back. And I certainly think they have the statistical profiles to do so. I mean, what a, I mean, this is like one of those things. If this is going to be, I guess, an inside joke for people from Alabama, but Alabama basketball, we had an old coach who always his thing was a tell of two halves, tell of two halves. Uh, one half we're really good, the other half we suck. And but right now it kind of feels like it is a tell of two halves, but two halves of the pitch, where mm-hmm. we're <laughs> we have a lot of offensive prowess, and then our back line is just I'm worried. <laughs> I am very very worried. Mm-hmm. So I, I I'm not worried in the players that we have. Um, I'm worried about them being left out to dry, and I'm worried about injury. Uh, if we don't have a lot of depth, which is why I'd almost want to go to a three-man back line, because that way you could at least, if someone gets hurt, you could plug another center back in the back. But is that something, a formation that you could see working with this group, or is this one of those things that maybe doesn't fit their statistical uh, background? No, I think it would be an interesting thing to try. And um, as I mentioned earlier, there was an attempt at it in the playoffs. Losing Akinyori hurts, certainly, just in terms of the personnel. I do think you would have to bring in another center back at this point to make it a viable strategy. But if you're trying to fit in the talent that Dean and um, James are bringing at the fullback slots, that would certainly be a really effective strategy. I would still want to have two more defensive-minded midfielders in there, even if that is the system just because of the style that some of these attacking players bring. So say you're running a unit where you've got JJ Williams, Brett, Lapa, and Flemings, a three at the back might be a wise decision just because you need that extra bit of cover given how forward-minded these players tend to be. That said, I do think that this is a team with some really good goalkeeping in uh, 
Matt Van Oikel last year, and I believe he's re-signed. Yes. Um, Ford Parker was in limited, very limited minutes, put up some decent numbers, a good save percentage. So at least there's that backstop, but it'll be interesting to see what direction this team goes because I don't think you've mentioned, I don't think the roster is quite finished yet. I think there is another defensive piece or two that will be coming in the door. Uh, you mentioned uh, Ford Parker. Uh, if He is just so good. And I think it kind of speaks volumes to, I guess, to our goalkeeping unit because um, Matt Van Oakle, he's also our goalkeeping coach. So he's going to be around for a long time. If he's not a player, he'll definitely be coaching. But he that that we've never had to worry about our goalkeeping, which is a nice feeling because that's not every team. <laughs> there are a lot of teams that have some real fear of Indy 11. I you're I can't yeah. remember his name off the top of my head. I've talked to him before, but losing Evan, uh, losing him is terrifying. And now there's a little bit of will, you know, I can't remember your backup's name and I'm struggling now, but yeah, Jordan Farr. Thank you, Farr. I, I knew it was, I can remember the two R's, but I could not remember <laughs> what it was. Um, but he, we've seen glimpses of him being good, but we don't know if he is good. <laughs> so <laughs> it's very nice knowing that, you know, the last resort is solid. It's we don't have to worry about it. Even with Trevor Spangenberg, who is a solid, he is a veteran uh, member, which he didn't play much, if at all, last year. But yeah. whenever he did come in in 2019, we had a shoddy backline at best. Um, I love those guys to death. They they were fantastic personalities and they were wonderful people, but defensively it wasn't always amazing and he bailed us out a lot so at least we have that foundation there <laughs> no i mean it's something that is almost a commonality across a lot of usl teams where um i know indy carried two really good goalkeepers if you think about uh vidiello and gomez that pittsburgh had okay so you had lorendi and uh, another goalie who's uh, escaping my mind at the moment, CJ Cochran, maybe, where if the U.S. is really good at one thing in terms of player development, it's pumping out goalkeepers like nobody's business. So just the depth at that position really makes it a strength for a lot of teams. I've always... And you mentioned Jordan Farr in that regard. He didn't really get a ton of time last season, but um, any indie fan can tell you that he is just fantastic. Two years ago, he got a pretty extended run out. And I mean, there was talk that we just let Evan Newton go because Farr deserved minutes. He's someone who I was surprised didn't leave, but then it made more sense when uh, Newton went out the door this offseason. But I have no concerns going forward because I think he'll hold down the spot excellently. Jordan, whenever I remember watching him, he he would make plays and I would be very impressed and then there would be the dumb mistake, like the young mistake, the I yeah. got I got too excited or, you know, just wasn't thinking about it. And that was always something I worried with him. I hopefully was working with Evan, who is just a great guy and he is a great player. Hopefully a few more years under him has really elevated his game. I'm really excited to watch Indy. And with the leaked news, it's a good chance that Legion and Indy are going to be linked up this year anyway so 
very right. excited to see him playing a lot, really. Yeah, no, I'm I'm fired up for this group, really. I think the top, the bottom half in terms of Memphis, uh, Atlanta, and OKC, not very strong. But Louisville, Birmingham, Indy are really good sides. And I think Tulsa and Sporting KC, too, even, are spunky. Tulsa is, they are my sneaky, they're my sneaky picks if they, to make it out of the East. Uh, they'd be my dark horse. They would not be my first or second pick to to represent the East. But I feel like if there's a team to sneak up on anybody, it's going to be Tulsa. They they have the firepower. They have a pretty good you know goalkeeper. Their defense is good on its day. And I mean, Tulsa fans are insane too. So they have the actual support, but I, I, I can't take, I can't miss taking a cheap shot at something like Memphis, but I, I'm also (laughs) very frustrated with Tim Howard and how they're running that because they have two players signed on contract. Two is from from your perspective, um, as someone who follows pretty much every team, and it's amazing how much you know about every team. It's fan, it's awesome. But those players, those two players they've kept, were they even worth keeping? Because I remember us playing them, and they just didn't feel like they were. <laughs> so this was a terrible Memphis team last year. There, there's no two ways about it. Metzger and Segbers are the two who they've retained. Metzger, he has experience across USL, but he only played in a couple matches last season. He's fine. He can play at a fullback slot. He can play as a defensive midfielder. He's not someone you would build a team around. Segbers, he actually got a loan to LAFC, which was really exciting for him. I didn't necessarily see it based on his play, but I would trust what LA is doing over my amateur opinion on that front. But even so, that's basically a fullback, someone who plays fullback or midfielder, and then nothing else. I mean, I worry that they're even going to exist. Obviously, it's maybe late in the game for that, but it's really baffling what's going on there. I mean, at absolute earliest, like I, like I mentioned, the reason that I, I mean, I, first off, I just love your work. But I think a preseason preview for Legion is good because we start our preseason tomorrow. And mm-hmm. that that means, and just like uh, Major League Baseball, if preseason starts today, that means the season starts in about a month or two. Where are you going to find even just, what, nine more players, let alone, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 more to even field a normal side? <laughs> right. Well, the point of comparison right now would be Las Vegas, who also has one player signed. But Vegas, it's leaked out, is going to be the affiliate for LAFC. So right off the bat, that's 10 players they're going to be getting on loan. What does Memphis have? Like, that's great that Tim Howard wants to get on NBCSN, wear a nice tweed suit, and talk about Spurs. But he needs to sign some players. I mean, he's really behind the eight ball with this club. And it's, they're not, if they do see the pitch, they're going to finish dead last in this group. The the only thing, this is just me connecting connecting dots in my head. I have no sources on this, so don't take this as fact, but if I'm right, I'm a genius. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> um, Memphis is AAA baseball team 
is affiliated with the St. Louis Cardinals. And St. Louis no longer has a USL team. They have an MLS team who no, who does not have a an affiliate club yet. I wonder if they're going to make a St. Louis pipeline, which be, they need something. <laughs> I ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, and it makes oh, yeah. me mad as a fan because. Uh, t- long story short, before Memphis Not a One became a thing, there were Memphis FC. Um, in the PDL and for us as a fan with the Birmingham hammers before we became Legion, we hated them. We absolutely hated their guts. And because there was real rivalry, every time Memphis came to town, I was just mad all day long. I wanted to beat them. I hated them. And then they brought in 901, Tim Howard and his group came in and they didn't care about the past of Memphis. They didn't, they didn't want to reach out to fans. They didn't want to care about what happened with Memphis FC. They just wanted to create something new, which if they didn't care about the immediate past and not even like 20 years ago, literally the year before, man, it's so obvious that they don't care now. That's It's so frustrating. <laughs> but, it's, a, it's a shame. But off my soapbox, I'm going to get off that. I have a couple more questions for you. All right. Based off what you saw last year, based on statistics and based off what you're seeing, who are who do you think are going to be the four final represent like representatives of the USL? Basically, who's going to be in the finals for the East and West this year? Who do you think? And you're totally allowed to be a homer. I might call you out for it, but you know, I mean, what are you seeing and what do you think? So I'm actually going to be the opposite of because I'm feeling really good about Louisville. Wow. Okay. They, and yeah, I mean, feel free to crucify me, indie fans, but I think Louisville is an absolute blast to watch. They, I mean, they play a fun possession-oriented style. Hackworth tactically is one of the best coaches in the league, just in terms of the adjustments he makes. And their midfield is fantastic. I mean, Del Piccolo, Bone, so fun to watch. There is the question mark with Williams leaving, and they brought in Tyler Gibson, who, well, just a brilliant player. He's a bit of a different style. He's less of a go-getter, box-to-box, more of an intelligent, positional sort of guy. That and sounds, I think he'll slot in well, but yeah. That sounds, I mean, losing that player, but then you slot in, you know, Jimmy McLaughlin, who right. was with FC Cincinnati, who I watched for a long time because, I mean, I I I guess I grew up not really. They came around later, but I mean I I've supported FC Cincinnati. My first ever professional soccer game I went to was Palace versus Cincinnati. So I grew mm-hmm. a fondness with that club and that's just Jimmy, isn't it? I mean, is that what something that you see is that he's willing to run all over the field does not matter what and just go get the ball. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But then like does he even fit in because you've got only you've got Hapano, like th- I mean that's just a stacked side but in terms of other east contenders I mean Tampa has to be one of the favorites as well they've brought back basically everybody added Steven Dos Santos and they're excellently coached as well I think Neil Collins is fantastic their three at the back is one of the best defensive units that we've seen in lower league soccer they're so good. and really if if I'm thinking about another 
another team or two in the East, Birmingham has to be up there for me. That attack is going to be so fierce. And then to mention one more would be Miami, just because of what they've added. I do think it'll take some time to gel for them. But I mean, on talent alone, you cannot count them out. I definitely think that Tampa is a lock. I think they were going to absolutely boat race uh, Phoenix last year in the final. I thought that they did everything. They had everything they could have to beat that Phoenix team last year. And they're just so good. That three-man back line with Forrest Lasso at the helm, they're so good. I don't know how anybody's going to be able to really beat them. They might lose a match or two, but I don't think any team's going to beat them. So I'm I'm with you on that one. Louisville's an interesting shout because they're always really good, but they always, even though they made it to all these cup finals and all these champion or conference championships in a row, I never felt like they were the best team, which was always so weird to say, which is totally me being a Cincinnati fan, you know, way back when. But even before that, I just never felt like they were like wowing everybody of how amazing they were. They were just good. They just didn't yeah. make mistakes. No, for sure. They're just a, they're a well-drilled team every year, and they've got enough guys who have that spark, whether it's Cameron Lan- Lancaster, I mean, Brian Ownby, you can get a magic ball in from Oscar Jimenez, where they do enough every single time. And the back line is always rock solid. Sean Toach should have been another, he's another team of the year quality player. I know I mentioned that with Kavita, uh, Alexis Swahi as well, Pat McMahon. They're just so strong, so well drilled. And these are guys who have played together for long enough that they know each other's tendencies. They know where they need to be to really keep that solidity. And that's such a baseline for them to build off of that it's, I mean, a great, thing a great asset for them to have heading into next season so let's move on to the other side of the country i guess and i mean el paso and phoenix i mean who else is out there that's really you think is going to give them a run for their money because i'm struggling to find it yeah i mean those two are definitely the favorites for sure and i'd be remiss if i didn't shout out dylan mayers who as an ex-Indy 11 guy, is absolutely one of my favorite players to watch in the league. But um, two dark horses, I think, would be New Mexico and San Diego. And if you're thinking about New Mexico, they've brought back pretty much everyone except uh, Chris Wien, who had headed over to Orange County. But they brought in Brian Brown, and they really hyped it up on Twitter. Um, but the big addition for them is Sergio Rivas coming over from Reno. He for my money, is one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the league. He does a bit of everything, and that's a team that plays an incredibly aggressive pressing style. Well, add this complete midfield dynamo who gives you these late runs, gives you these tackles, and it's just a perfect stylistic fit. And then pair that with Brown, who's a poacher, who's a really intelligent mover. So you've got a team that they press you, they turn over the ball, they put shots on goal, And you've got a Brian Brown to clean it up, a Devin Sandoval to hold up the ball. There's a clear vision for what's going on. In terms of San Diego, they came on like nobody's business at the end of last season. They were tearing through competition. They didn't lose in, I think, their last six or seven matches. And a lot of it was on the strength of Rubio Rubin and Alejandro Guido, who were both gone. 
That said, this is a team that's really retooled and brought in some talent to replace what was lost, namely in uh, Corey Herzog and Jack Blake. Anyone who's followed uh, USL for long enough knows Jack Blake for sure. He's been all over the social media, but he's a good creator. He'll fit into the role that Guido played. And if Herzog can recreate 75% of the insanity that Rubin was putting up, this is going to be a really strong side. Additionally, they brought in um, Thomas uh, Van Kaisel from Pittsburgh, who, again, really strong central defender. He'll be at the core of what they're doing defensively. I have questions about Landon Donovan's management, maybe, just because I think there is that sort of sense of prove it. But he's certainly a decent man manager, and he's got a talented side to work with. I think that's one thing that's interesting about the Landon Donovan situation is because there's no question that his players are going to play for him. They're going to put in 110% for him, but whether he's going to tell them the right thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Very, I mean, it's a very interesting thing. The West is, I guess for a lot of USL fans, uh, especially on the East Coast, they don't know a lot about the West. I've tried to keep up with it. I usually, during my week, during the weekday, I'll go through and I'll watch as many of the West matches as I can. But it really does feel like it's a two-man race that maybe in the playoffs one of them gets knocked out, but it just doesn't feel that way. One team that's kind of maybe not fallen from grace because I don't know how long it's been since they've been in grace, but <laughs> what's going on with Orange County, man? <laughs> like, they always feel like they have a team there, and then they just don't. <laughs> they are a really interesting conundrum because, at least in the last season, identity-wise, this was an incredibly good defensive unit who gave you just nothing going forward in attack. And now they've signed like six strikers. So, and Aiden Quinn is out the door as well. Basically, you've got the core of a decent defense, but that midfielder who held it together, who anchored the space in front of that back line, but also had the ability to spray a pass and spark an attack is gone and he's playing for Phoenix Rising. You have a lot of attacking talent. I just don't see where they have the firepower in that midfield to keep up with a side like Phoenix, to go to battle with a team like El Paso with Dylan Mares and Richie Ryan in the middle, even El Paso with like Jack Blake and the Martins. I mean, it's just a question mark for me what they're going to be doing competitively. They're going to be solid. They're always solid. They're going to frustrate you. They're not going to give up easy goals. But it's disappointing that the way they've allocated things, they're not going to be stronger. And maybe I think it's McCabe that they signed mm -hmm. in the midfield. He's a good player, but can he be Aiden Quinn? That's the really big question. If he can come and recreate what Quinn offered, this could be a scary side. I don't necessarily think he has the passing chops to do so. When I watch McCabe, which he was with FC Cincinnati with the MLS team, and I think he was with Memphis, in which we got to watch him a fair amount, I, I never saw it. I... I don't yeah. know how it's going to fit, especially uh, USL is really interesting. And I guess MLS, but not to the same degree of the West and the East are so different playing wise. They maybe stats, maybe doesn't back it up as much by what I see, but it always feels like it's two different leagues playing each other. And I don't know if 
if McCabe slots in. I just don't. It's certainly out West, you get a lot more pressing. You have a lot, at least at the top end, let me say, where if you think about that triad of teams, the San Antonio, New Mexico, El Paso, all three of them are going to press you hard, but they're also going to keep the ball. They can counterattack if they need to. Someone like McCabe might struggle with that, where if I think he needs to step up his passing and suddenly you're thrown into this blender of hard-pressing teams, it's a prove-it season for him. He's shown some of that defensive instinct, but if he can bring the offense to his game and the distribution, he's someone to look out for. And it's that's the big question mark for me, where I really doubt he'll do so. And he's solid still, but I don't know. Orange County needs another piece in the middle. All right, before before we head off, uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. You've been awesome. I feel like I've learned so much. It's been fantastic uh, to hear you talk and uh, being able to, I guess, put a face to all the things that I've been reading for the last <laughs> several months. Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, yeah, everybody go follow John uh, at USL Tactics. Um, it's worth a read, I promise you'll learn so much about things that you didn't, I guess you don't really need to know about, but you just feel like a smarter person. <laughs> but is there, I'm, I'm just curious, last question before you know we head off, is there sure. one player statistically that just doesn't make sense? Like you look at the numbers and you're like, this, what is this? <laughs> who are, Who is this guy? Oh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. No one is popping out to me right now, and I'm sad that I don't have a good answer for this question because there are Toad players who you look at the numbers and it's just totally head-scratching. I suppose um, Canardo Forbes might be, or rather, oh, confusing my elite passing midfielders, Lebo Melodo might be the answer here, who um, he holds it down in central midfield for Tulsa, and if you look at his expected assists, if you look at the forward pass rates, you think this guy is going to be putting up 10 assists easy in six to that 16-game uh, campaign last year, and he put up two assists for Tulsa. And part of that is this is just a crappy finishing side, but at the same time, you're just baffled at the ex expected output for what you might consider to be reasonable for him versus what you're actually getting. And I do think that is some misuse on Tulsa's part where, I mean, elite passing vision, he knows exactly where he needs to be to pick up the ball and spray it. And they're asking him to sit back and be a defensive midfielder, protect the back line and completely misuse him. But at the same time, his numbers still shine through as somebody who should be doing more. And so, I mean, myself as a new fan, you as a Birmingham fan, might be a little bit scared for that this upcoming season as yeah. they I'm thinking might be moving towards a three at the back that gives him a little bit more leeway but at someone who I think in the right circumstance and with a little bit more luck is going to be putting up a monstrous statistical uh, profile well yeah I mean that that's so interesting expected 10 and then you get two that's just that's mind boggling. That's, that's a really good shout on a player that doesn't make sense. That, that's, that's completely wild. Well, uh, if these uh, leagues end up and these divisions end up the way that they are supposed to, I guess, 
I'll almost definitely be coming up to the Carroll and watching a match. So uh, hopefully see you there. And, you know, uh, I cannot thank you for, again for coming on here, man. You're awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah. I cannot thank John for coming back on enough. I Dude's electric. Absolutely awesome. His content's amazing. I feel like I gained so many IQ points just by hearing him talk. He's so smart. Sometimes I feel like he knew more about Legion than I did, which was kind of embarrassing considering I do this for a hobby. Um, I don't get paid for this, fun fact, but I don't need to get paid. I think this is a great time. But yeah, go follow him on Twitter, at USL Tactics. I promise you're not going to regret it. Dude is awesome. He makes fantastic content, and it's easy to digest. So, yeah, I cannot thank him enough for coming on. If you enjoyed it, follow him on Twitter at USL Tactics. If you want to join in a conversation, follow me at Kaylor Hodges. And if you're listening to this now, go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go to Hammering Down. I really recommend it. But, yeah, thanks, guys, so much. Did you hear my phone go off? I'm a professional. I'm, I'm so good at this thing. <laughs> anyway... Thank you guys again for listening and keep hammering on.